Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday, December 25th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast, the Christmas Day episode. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. There's a lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ doing a great job over there for the kingdom. I would definitely encourage you to get on over there and find something to listen to. I will guarantee you're going to find something you want to listen to. Again, wide variety of topic areas. But I can almost guess, and I say that because it happened to me, you may find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. And what a great problem that is. Um, so again, I would encourage you to go on over there. All right. Well, like I said, this is a the Christmas morning episode, and I'm actually recording it on Christmas morning instead of pre-recording it. So it may be a little later getting out today than it usually is. Um, I'm up this morning. I uh, had, <laughs> yeah, Christmas morning. I got a whopping five hours of sleep last night um, because I had to get back up at 4:30 this morning um, to get the turkey out of the brine, get the smoker going, and get the turkey loaded up in the smoker. So. Uh, we, we have a, we're going to see this is the first time I've ever smoked a turkey. I've smoked a number of other things. And this is only the second time I've used this smoker. My son, my oldest son got for me, I believe it was for father's day this year. Um, it's a gas smoker. So that's a little bit different. Usually I use a, I have a big charcoal, um, slash wood smoker and grill that I usually use, but he got me a gas smoker. It, it's, it's, it's a charbroil. It's, it's like the one he has, but his is fully electric. My brother gave it to him. Um, <clears throat> so really, really nice. Um, and you just load the wood in the bottom, um, uh, for the gas to, you know, heat up and smoke. And, uh, so we're hick I'm hickory smoking the Turkey, but I'm also, um, cause that was one of the things suggested. They suggest what fruit wood. And then they were talking about hickory is a really good one. Um, but I did, I, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't done much brining of turkeys. My son does it all the time and does most, most, you know, Thanksgivings and stuff. He's the turkey guy for, for the family. Um, and, and we'll do big roast turkeys and stuff like that. But this brine was actually, um, a new one. I, I don't know. It smelled wonderful. The brine smelled wonderful. So if the turkey tastes anything like the brine smelled along with the hickory smoke, it's going to be awesome. But don't know. We're going to, we're going to try, but I had to be up at four 30 cause it's got to go seven, seven and a half hours before I pull it, let it rest and then cut it. So we'll, we'll see. But so if you hear a, hear an alarm go off in the middle of this, that's my alarm to go out and check on the water level and stuff like that in the smoker. So sorry about that. If it disturbs us. Um, but again, with it, with it being Christ Christmas morning and I knew it was going to be up this early, I thought I'd get up and go ahead and record this morning. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to do a regular episode, a regular episode. We, I did get, get some stuff ready for the Bible study. So we're going to continue on in our study of the gospel of John, and we're going to do our regular reading. We're close again, we're closing up on the end of our Bible reading plan. So that's great. And I'm sorry, I need, need a little bit of coffee here. Hang on just a second. All right. So let's see. So we're going to be doing all of that. Um, but I do want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Um, I do, I do want to remind you, um, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in the commercialism and Santa Claus and all that stuff. And those are all great. And the gifts and all that. And that's great if that's what you do and that's your traditions. But I would definitely encourage you all to make sure that you and your family remember the reason for the season. And I, I said this out on Facebook this morning. Um, the reason for this season is the Christ child. Don't let anybody tell you Christmas is pagan and blah, 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 blah. I mean, don't get me wrong. We as humans have messed it up, but it's not pagan. It's not pagan. Um, we need to, we need 
to celebrate the birth of the Christ child. Because again, he was the greatest gift ever given. As one of our prayers, one of our Puritan prayers we're going to read this morning, um, actually makes clear, which is why I chose it. And actually, I can't take full credit for it. I was reminded of it by my pastor who used it last night at our Christmas Eve service. Um, and I, I'll try to share on my Facebook and Twitter um, the uh, our, the live stream of our service last night. It, our, our Christmas Eve service was wonderful, our candlelight service. Um, and, and even our time, even though it was shortened up a bit um, because of some issues in the prison, uh, we did have a great, great service with, with, with uh, the inmates um, out in the prison yesterday afternoon. It was wonderful to get to celebrate Christmas Eve with them. But let's, so anyways, I've kind of, I guess I've kind of rambled on, but I just wanted to say Merry Christmas and I wish you and yours the best, best Christmas season. And I hope, hope you're looking forward to a solid, a solid new year. I mean, I know 2024, even heading into it sounds a little bit of tough, a little bit tough, but with this season, this is the season of hope and we've been given the greatest gift of all the Christ child. So with that being the case, I think we can all buck up. Get our chins up and face the new year strong. All right. Well, let's go ahead and open up this morning. We're going to open up with the second day morning prayer. It's called God Overall. Let's pray. O God, all sufficient, thou hast made and upholdest all things by the word of thy power. Darkness is thy pavilion. Thou walkest in the, on the wings of the wind. All nations are nothing before thee. One generation succeeds another, and we hasten back to the dust. The heavens we behold will vanish away like the clouds that cover them. The earth we tread on will dissolve as a morning dream. But thou, unchangeable and incorruptible, art forever and ever, God over all, blessed eternally. Infinitely great and glorious art thou. We are thy offspring in thy care. Thy hands have made and fashioned us. Thou hast watched over us with more than parental love, more than maternal tenderness. Thou hast holden our soul in life, and not suffered our feet to be moved. Thy divine power has given us all things necessary for life and godliness. Let us bless thee at all times, and forget not how thou hast forgiven our iniquities, healed our diseases, redeemed our lives from destruction, crowned us with loving kindness and tender mercies, satisfied our mouths with good things, renewed our youth like the eagles. May thy holy scriptures govern every part of our lives and regulate the discharge of all our duties, so that we may adorn thy doctrine in all things. Amen. All right. And our morning devotion for December 25th, so for Christmas Day, from Spurgeon's morning and evening, uh, the let's see, the scripture for it is from Isaiah 7.14. And Go figure, Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And if you didn't know, and I'm sure Spurgeon's, I haven't even read this yet, but I'm sure, yeah, okay. Spurgeon's going to do it. Emmanuel means God with us. Let us today go down to Bethlehem and in company with wandering shepherds and adoring magi, let us see him who was born King of the Jews. For we by faith can claim an interest in him and can sing, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Jesus is Jehovah incarnate, our Lord and our God, and yet our brother and friend. Let us adore and admire. Let us notice at the very first glance his miraculous conception. It was a thing unheard of before and unparalleled since, that a virgin should conceive and bear a son. The first promise ran thus, the seed of the woman not the offspring of the man since venturous woman led the way in the, the led the way in the sin which brought forth paradise lost she and she alone ushers in the regainer of paradise our savior although truly man was as to his human nature the holy one of god let us reverently bow before the holy child whose innocence restores to manhood its ancient glory and let us pray that he may be formed in us the hope of glory Fail not to note his humble parentage. His mother has been described simply as a virgin, not a princess or prophetess, nor a matron of large estate. True, the blood of kings ran in her veins, nor, <clears throat> sorry, nor was her mind a weak and untaught one, for she could sing most sweetly a song of praise. But yet how humble her position, how poor the man to whom she stood affianced, and how miserable the accommodation afforded to the newborn king. Emmanuel, God with us in our nature, 
in our sorrow, in our life work, in our punishment, in our grave, and now with us, or rather we with him, in resurrection, ascension, triumph, and second advent splendor. Sorry about that. I had to take a break for a minute and clear a frog in my throat. Um, I don't, I don't want to digress too much, but I love this. This is wonderful from Spurgeon. Um, and of course I, I've got a little bit of a lead on this. Um, <clears throat> so the way we do our Christmas Eve service is usually three pastors or three people will preach. Um, it used to be, we had two different churches, two other churches that met in our building. And so we would do all of our stuff together. Well, we no longer do that. I mean, we do have another church still meeting in our building, but they, they had their, they did their own thing for Christmas for this weekend. So our pastor asked my, my, my brother, Randy, who's one of our elders and then me <clears throat> and then myself to preach along with him. And so we still did the three different things. And so we, what we, what we chose to do, pastor Jay brought it to us and, and I, man, I jumped on it. I, I'd never thought of doing this, but we preached from the Magnificat. Um, if you don't know what that is, that is Mary's song. Um, when, when Mary comes to see Elizabeth and the, the baby and Elizabeth, John, the Baptist jumps at even hearing Mary's voice, knowing this is the mother of her savior. Um, and then Mary sings this song and the way we looked at it, the way we broke it down, we each had certain verses in it and pastor Jay preached God is savior from verses 46 through 40. Uh, it's Luke one verses 46 through 48. I, I preached on God is holy verses 49 through 52 and uh, Randy preached, um, that God is mercy. God is merciful. Um, so, uh, what was it Luke one, uh, 53 through 56. Um, and, and that's kind of the key, one of the key things. And, I, and I'm sorry, I, I we're, are going to do our reading and we are going to do our Bible study, but I, I wanted to hit this. Um, that's the thing with poor, humble Mary was blessed with the conception of the Christ child. But we have to remember that conception did not come from man. It was not tainted by man. It was brought about by the work of the Holy spirit, by the overshadowing. That's, that's the terminology used in the scripture, the overshadowing of the Holy spirit, thus making that human nature as, as, um, Spurgeon speaks of that human nature being completely pure, thus being able to be clearly, Merge because again, Christ is fully God and fully man to merge that fully God, that pure, fully God with an untainted human nature, man nature to be that sacrifice for us. And how amazing that is that God in doing that was able to even do that woman out of wedlock pregnant, however, having not sinned and there being no sin involved in what happened. And how awesome is our God that he did that. And it just blows my, it blew my mind when I was putting that together. So anyway, it's just something I wanted to convey. And I know you're like, why don't you just get on to the reading, ding dong? Well, guess what? We're getting on to the reading. So our text for today is Zechariah 8, Revelation 16, Psalm 144, and Proverbs 30, verse 29 through 31. So we're almost done with Proverbs 30. When we get into Proverbs 31, it's cut into two big chunks because it's very, very, Proverbs 31 is very, very specific. It's a little bit different than the rest of the Proverbs. So let's go ahead and read in Zechariah 8. Hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> then the word of Yahweh of hosts came saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, I am jealous with great jealousy for Zion, and with great wrath I am jealous for her. Thus says Yahweh, I will return to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of Yahweh of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of age and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, It is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days. Will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares Yahweh of hosts? Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land where the sun rises and from the land where the sun sets, and I will bring them back, and they will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. 
Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Let your hands be strong, you who are listening in these days to these words from the mouths of the prophets, those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of Yahweh of hosts was laid, to the end that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for, for man or any wage for animal, and for him who went out or came in there was no peace because of the adversary, and I set all men one against another. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares Yahweh of hosts. For there will be peace for the seed, the vine will yield its fruit, the land will yield its produce, and the heavens will give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. And it will be that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, Just as I purposed to bring about evil to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says Yahweh of hosts, and I have not relented, so I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Also let none of you devise evil in your heart against another, and do not love false oaths, for all these are what I hate, declares Yahweh. Then the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, The fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and merry appointed feasts for the house of Judah. So love truth and peace. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, it will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of Yahweh, and to seek Yahweh of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek Yahweh of hosts in Jerusalem, and to entreat the favor of Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, in those days ten men from every tongue of the nations will take hold of the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Revelation 16 Then I heard a loud voice from the sanctuary, saying to the seven angels, Go, and pour out on the earth the seven bulls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bull on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who have the mark of the beast and who worship his image. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who is and who was, O holy one, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the authority over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. And the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. Then I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are spirits of demons, doing signs, which go out to the kings of the whole world, to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments, so that he will not walk about naked, and men will not see his shame." And they gathered them together to the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the sanctuary from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. And the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. 
Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the wrath of his rage, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and huge hailstones about one talent each came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Psalm 144 Of David Blessed be Yahweh, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. O Yahweh, what is man that you know him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. O Yahweh, bow your heavens and come down. Touch the mountains that they may smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and confuse them. Send forth your hand from on high. Set me free and deliver me out of many waters, out of the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speaks worthlessness, and whose right hand is a right hand of lying. O God, I will sing a new song to you. Upon a harp of ten strings I will sing praises to you, who gives salvation to kings, who sets David his servant free from the evil sword. Set me free and deliver me out of the hand of the sons of a foreigner, whose mouth speaks worthlessness, and whose right hand is a right hand of lying. That our sons would be as grown-up plants in their youth, and our daughters as corner pillars fashioned as for a palace. That our granaries would be full, furnishing every kind of produce, and our flocks would bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields outside. That our cattle would bear, without mishap and without loss, and without outcry in our streets. How blessed are the people for whom this is so. How blessed are the people for whom God is Yahweh. And finally, Proverbs 30 verses 29 through 31. There are three things which are stately in their march, even four which are stately when they walk. The lion, which is mighty among the animals and does not turn back before any. The strutting rooster, the male goat also, and a king when his army is with him. All right, well, that is our reading for this morning, and I know this morning ran a little bit longer than usual. Um, just had a few things I wanted to say, though the, the Bible reading was shorter. I hope you have yourself a wonderful, wonderful Christmas day and a wonderful time with your family today. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God, and I hope to see you for the evening segment as we continue in our study of John chapter 16. All right, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with one, and this was, like I said, this is Pastor Jay reminded me of this one. This is called the gift of gifts. Let's pray. O source of all good, what shall I render to, to thee for the gift of gifts? Thy own dear son, begotten, not created, my redeemer, proxy, surety, substitute, his self-emptying, incomprehensible, his, I'm sorry, his self-emptying, incomprehensible, his infinity of love beyond the heart's grasp, herein is wonder of wonders, he came below to raise me above, was born like me that I might become like him. Here in his love, when I cannot rise to him, he draws near on wings of grace to raise me to himself. Here in his power, when deity and humanity were infinitely apart, he united them in indissoluble unity, the uncreated and the created. Here in his wisdom, when I was undone with no will to return to him and no intellect to devise recovery, he came, God incarnate, to save me to the uttermost, as man to die my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a perfect righteousness for me. O God, take me in spirit to the watchful shepherds, and enlarge my mind. Let me hear good tidings of great joy, and hearing, believe, rejoice, praise, adore, my conscience bathed in an ocean of repose, my eyes uplifted to a reconciled father. Place me with ox, ass, camel, goat, to look with them upon my Redeemer's face, and in him account myself delivered from sin. Let me with Simeon clasp the newborn child to my heart, embrace him with undying faith, exulting that he is mine and I am his. In him thou hast given me so much that heaven can give no more. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope you come back for the evening segment. Have a wonderful Christmas. God bless.
Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, or Monday, sorry, December 25th episode, the Christmas episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, well, with it being Christmas, um, I do wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, again, this evening segment, I said the same thing in the morning segment. Of course, I'm recording them back to back, but... Um, and like I told you about the alarm going off and I warned you about it. Well, we don't have to worry about it. About the time I finished the first segment, the alarm was ready to go off. So I went ahead and took care of reloading the smoker. And so we won't be disturbed by that. And I got a fresh cup of coffee. So, but here in the evening segment, we are going to continue. We are getting back into, and thank you for, I, for being patient with me last week. I, I hope what I brought to you last week. Um, was edifying and fulfilling, um, was just trying to get across something that I thought, you know, the, the, the humbleness of the birth of Christ. I, I, I think it's very, very easy in our society to lose track of, and I probably said this last week, to lose track of what, what the season is really about, what this is really about. Um, and, and this, the, the, the point of the virgin birth and the humbleness of it is one of the cornerstones of our faith. And so if we kind of gloss by it as, oh, the cute story of the baby Jesus, and we got, get caught up in the little drummer boy and the, and the, you know, and the, and frosty and all that stuff, we, we really lose the joy and the wonder and just the awe at the mercy of God in providing the Christ child to us to provide, providing Jesus as our salvation. So I, I just, I wanted, I thought that was important to get through, but I want us to end the year with a bang. <laughs> so God willing, we will finish up John 16. We will finish up the upper room discourse this week, um, probably Wednesday. And then we'll move into again, God willing, John 17 before the end of the week. So we'll head into what's called the high priestly prayer, Jesus being our high priest and our only priest, but our high priest. Um, so let's go ahead and open up. We're going to open up with, ooh, I forgot to swap this over. So I, I, I usually, you know, I kind of randomly pick them. I, I randomly use, I've got a plan that I go through for these prayers, but I picked the two today because of what day it is. So we're going to open up this morning with one called Christ is all from Valley of Vision. Let's pray. O lover to the uttermost, may I read the meltings of thy heart to me in the manger of thy birth and the garden of thy agony in the cross of thy suffering and the tomb of thy resurrection and the heaven of thy intercession. Bold in this thought, I defy my adversary, tread down his temptations, resist his schemings, renounce the world, am valiant for truth. Deepen in me a sense of my holy relationship to thee, a spir as spirit I'm sorry, as spiritual bridegroom, as Jehovah's fellow, as sinner's friend. I think of thy glory and my vileness, thy majesty and my meanness, thy beauty and my deformity, thy purity and my filth, thy righteousness and my iniquity. Thou hast loved me everlastingly, unchangeably. May I love thee as I am loved. Thou hast given thyself for me. May I give myself to thee. Thou hast died for me. May I live to thee. In every moment of my time, in every movement of my mind, in every pulse of my heart, may I never dally with the world and its allurements, but walk by thy side. Listen to thy voice. Be clothed with thy graces and adorned with thy righteousness. Amen. All right, and the evening devotion for December 25th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, um, it's Job one. It's from Job 1.5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them, of them all, excuse me. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. What the patriarch did early in the morning after the family festivities, it will be well for the believer to do for himself ere he rests a night. 
amid the cheerfulness of household gatherings, it is easy to slide into sinful levities and to forget our avowed character as Christians. It ought not to be so, but so it is that our days of feasting are very seldom days of sanctified enjoyment, but too frequently degenerate into unhallowed mirth. There is a way of joy as pure and sanctifying as though one bathed in the rivers of Eden. Holy gratitude should be quite as purifying as el an element as grief. Alas for our poor hearts, that facts prove that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. Come, believer, and what have you sinned today? Have you been forgetful of your high calling? Have you been even as others in idle words and loose speeches? Then confess the sin and fly to the sacrifice. The sacrifice sanctifies. The precious blood of the Lamb slain removes the guilt and purges away the defilement of our sins of ignorance and carelessness. This is the best ending of a Christmas day, to wash anew in the cleansing fountain. Believer, come to this sacrifice continually. If it be so good tonight, it is good every night. To live at the altar is the privilege of the royal priesthood. To them, sin, great as it is, is nevertheless no cause for despair, since they draw near yet again to the sin-atoning victim, and their conscience is purged from dead works. Gladly I close this festive day, grasping the altar's hallowed horn. My slips and faults are washed away. The Lamb has all my trespass borne. Wow. What a great one, and I, I had not really... <laughs> Honestly, I had not really thought of this. Um, and again, I'm going to pontificate a little bit, and I'm, I'm trying not to be pompous about it or whatever, or or pedantic about it to you. Um, and yeah, I'm using a bunch of big words, but 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 basically, what I really got out of that, um, you know, it, it, it's one thing for us to be all Christian and look all Christian and behave all Christian. Like last night, we were at a at a at a candlelight service, our candlelight service. But what about when we get together with family? And that's what Spurgeon was talking about there. What about when we get together with family who are not all brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Most of us know that even within our churches, not everybody is saved. Not everybody are truly brothers and sisters in Christ. They're either brothers and sisters in Christ or our mission field, but they're not all saved. But the expectation is there that whether, whether we're all saved or not, that you're going to behave in, in, in a Christian-like manner. But what about when you get around the table at, on Christmas with family, some or most of who may not be saved? You, you may be the lone one or your family may be the lone part of that group that are truly Christian. And what if they start cutting up in a, in a very non-Christian, a, a very blasphemous way? I'm not talking specifically cursing God or anything like we, like, you know, um, Job spoke of there when talking about maybe they cursed God, but, but I mean, in a, in a way that's inappropriate for the Christian, have we been sucked into it? Have, have, have we been led to, to behave that way? So, I mean, Spurgeon really nails it. We need to come back to the sacrifice after that. It, it you know, Spurgeon's acknowledges he's not he's not chastising us that we stumbled in that way um not that it's good and not that we shouldn't strive not to but we are human we we do we do have a sin nature we are not like like I was speaking of before with the with the morning one we don't have a purified human nature that is not infested with sin we have a sinful nature um so we're we're going to stumble at times but we must remember to come back to the sacrifice, to come back to Christ and to mortify those sins. And so that's what Spurgeon is talking about there. All right. Sorry, pontificated enough. So again, we're moving on in our study of John chapter 16. Uh, we're closing up on the end. We're in this last section. Um, and again, like we said, this is, this is the end of the, of the upper room discourse. And like we've said before, this is the, uh, hang on. Excuse me. This is the uh, Jesus' private ministry to his disciples. Um, this this is his private instruction to them. Again, he ended in twelve. I think it's chapter twelve. Um, you know, he, there was the triumphal entry. He said a few other things, and that then that was the end of his public ministry. So this has been specifically to his disciples. And again, we've talked about it before. These disciples are very in a very very bad place. Okay. 
um, they, they had all these preconceptions about what the Messiah was going to be. And some of them, actually, a lot of them were based on misinterpreting what the prophet said. Now, the, the problem is, if you take the prophets as a whole, like we're supposed to, you start realizing that the Messiah was not meant as an earthly king, as an earthly savior, as a, what I call a temporal um, ruler and, and um, um, emancipator of the Jews. That's not what he was meant for. It was all about the spirit. That's like I've said before, they, mi they misunderstood um, even circumcision. You know, they got to the point they were taking the physical act of physical circumcision as being the identifier for the Jew. And that wasn't what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be representative of, of a heart circumcision, not a physical one, but a spiritual one. So that, so that the ugly and sin would be trimmed away from it so that it would be pure and would purely worship God. And they, they, they didn't understand that. I mean, you know, um, like we've talked about, you know, um, they, even John the Baptist, you know, called, called out the Pharisees and said, don't, don't talk to me about, you know, being children of Abraham, God turn around and make these rocks out here, children of Abraham. You know, and they're thinking, oh, I've been circumcised and I've this, that, and the other, and I, I'm raised from this family. And John was like, it doesn't matter. John the Baptist was like, it doesn't matter. So the, these disciples coming from that culture have this same problem. And they're being exposed to more and more from Jesus, but they're still struggling a bit. And we see this, we're, we're coming into the end of this. And again, we've, 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 talked about it repeatedly over the last number of weeks, actually over all of this from 13 here through 16. So four full chapters of the gospel of John, we've, we've discussed this, that when we hit Pentecost and the Holy spirit overshadows them, the Holy spirit goes through them and enlightens them, then they're going to understand, but they're still struggling. And that's what we're dealing with here in our verses today. So that this new section, again, like I've told you before, um, I use MacArthur's, um, John MacArthur's, um, chapter titles, section titles, whatever. It, it makes it easier for me to just organize what's going on. So, and I don't want to take credit for it. I, they're his. Um, but so we've come through here in chapter 16. We, we looked at it at the beginning of it, verses one through 11, um, about the Holy spirit convicting the world. And then we looked at the Holy spirit revealing the truth. And then we went through this section from sorrow to joy. That was our last section, verses 16 through 24, from sorrow to joy. And we've been showing throughout this that Jesus has been trying to point to them that these things are coming and they're supposed to happen. These are not things you're going to be sad because I'm going to be taken from you and I'm going to be crucified. But this has to happen for the other to happen. This has to happen. So the Holy Spirit comes and empowers you. And believe me, they need it. I mean, we would too. They're going to need it. They're going to need it to go and carry out the ministry that Jesus Christ has set before them, that God has put on them. They're going to need the Holy Spirit. They don't need Jesus walking alongside them, nothing against Jesus, but that's not Jesus's role in the plan of God. He came as Savior. He came as Savior. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers. And we have to, we, they have to see that. We have to see that. So this has to happen. But like we've said, they've been struggling about it. They're like, wait, we have all this to do and you're going to be killed. How are we supposed to go on? So like we've said, he's been, he's been trying to strengthen them. He's been trying to lift them up. Um, and so we get into this section uh, that John MacArthur refers to as the cardinal Christian virtues, the cardinal Christian virtues. And we're going to see three of them. Um, and shoot, I don't remember what the other two are, but the one for today is love. And so this is verses 25 through 33 is the cardinal Christian virtues. And what we're going to look at today is verses 25 through 27a. So hear the word of the Lord. These things I have spoken to you in figures of speech. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you openly of the Father. On that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. 
So again, we see Jesus speaking here, talking about that he's spoken to them in figures of speech. Now, he's said this before. Um, uh, where was the verse? I'm sorry, it's back up here further in 16. Oh, well, he was saying, um, verse 19. Jesus knew that they were wishing to question. So the disciples were asking questions of each other because Jesus had said something about a little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And then of course, verse 17, some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this he is telling us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the father. And so he knew that they were asking this and he goes, are you deliberating together about this? So then he goes on to, you know, to explain a little bit to them. But this isn't the first time. We've got multiple places in Matthew where he really sits there and goes, do you really not understand yet? Um, and in some cases, you know, we had Peter go, can you explain this? Because he told something in parable and he goes, can you explain this in parable, this parable to us? Um, we even have times when he go when they ask, the disciples ask, and I think it was probably Peter then too, is why are you doing this in parables? And he makes clear that, He's doing this in parables. He's speaking in parables because it's not meant for these other people to know that, that it is meant solely for those who come to a saving faith in Christ. And we're going to see that that's the thing. I mean, we're dealing with a sense of spiritual blindness. If, and if you remember, we talked about that back with the man who was born blind and then Jesus gave him sight, you know, healed him, gave him sight. That's the miracle that happened. I think it was just right before that he, um, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And again, man born blind did not have the ability to for sight at all. And Jesus gave it to him. But we spoke of it then that not only did he give him physical sight, but he also gave him spiritual sight because while these religious elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and stuff that were sitting there, you know, needless to say, he even called them out on it. The man born blind called them out and he goes, wait, how, how, how do you, you know, it was kind of like, how do you have a problem with this? Again, this is the Wayne paraphrase, the Wayne paraphrase, <laughs> Wayne Floyd paraphrase kind of thing. But, but he's like, wait, do you not get this? And again, we, we talked about it, that he had a, uh, he, he actually did. It, it was a logical progression. There were, there was a major premise, a minor premise, and then the conclusion. And he laid out clearly, and, he, and I think I'm hitting this right, that he said, okay, we know that only somebody from God can do a miracle like was done to me. This man did this miracle to me. Therefore, this man is obviously from God. It's a syllogism. I couldn't think of the word there at the beginning. It's a syllogism. I mean, but, it, but it's a standard logical argument. That's the, the normal organization of a logical argument there. Um, and that's if you've ever stutter, studied logic, you'll come across that. The major premise, the minor premise, and then the conclusion that's drawn from that. So he does that to them. But again, they, they, I mean, they turn around and they throw him out of the synagogue, which was a major thing. Again, we talked, we've talked about that. There was a major thing in that time. Um, but we talked about that, you know, even he was spiritually blind as well as physically blind, but that Christ removed that. It was like, um, when they talk about, when we talk about Paul, um, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, um, when the scales were removed from his eyes, that's how it's spoken of. Um, and he was able to see again because he'd been blinded on the Damascus road. That's what has happened to this man. Well, that's what happens to the disciples when Pentecost comes, when the Holy Spirit indwells them. So this is what Jesus is dealing with here. And again, we've, we, we, we have to understand that, and it's harder, it, not, not harder than then, but it's become harder in the last hundred some years than it was before. And I'm sorry, I need a drink of coffee here. Hopefully you didn't hear that. My wife has pointed out that sometimes you can hear me drinking and I don't want you to do that. And I don't have a good mute button. I don't have that equipment yet. So I apologize. Um, but, but again, so where was I going with that? I lost track of that talking about the, the drinking, but anyways, okay. Well, I've, I lost track of it. So whatever, but that my, my, my train of thought derailed there. Um, 
So anyways, so, so they're struggling, but they're going to understand it is coming. It is coming and they're just kind of going to have to wade through this. But so we come to our verses today and our verses today are 25 through 27 a, a again. And again, it's about the love. And, and so I'm, I'm going to run through these again. These things I've spoken to you in figures of speech. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you openly of the father. So what he's speaking of there, um, again, he's, he's referring there to, to how he did in parables that he's spoken in figures of speech. Um, we, we think about it, like I was saying in Matthew, we've got multiple places in Matthew. We even have, what is it? The, the end of John two, um, where he's talking about this, this temple will be de destroyed and in three days it will rise again. And, you know, John, even the apostle John, even there puts in a footnote that when he was glorified, then we understood what he meant here. So we, we know this is going to come and, and this is what he is saying. And on that day, you will not question me about anything or I'm sorry, verse 25, these things I've spoken to you in figures of speech, he goes on an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you openly of the father. The inference there is not so much that Jesus is going to come back and tell them a bunch of things. Now he is when, um, he is resurrected. He spends 40 days with them. Well, they didn't, they didn't spend 40 days sitting around on the beach fishing and, 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 uh, shooting the bull. I mean, that, that, that's not what they're doing. When he comes back, he teaches them. I'm, I'm sure. I mean, that that's in his nature. That makes absolute sense that he teaches them. But at that point, he will be speaking openly of the father, but it's also the fact there's also the inference there that not only in that case will he be speaking openly of the Father, but it's also that they will understand the spiritual blindness will be removed. And now I remembered where my train of thought was going. But that spiritual blindness will be removed. The Holy Spirit will indwell them. That spiritual blindness will be removed. And like I've spoken of before, that's what happened for me when I was brought to a saving faith in Christ. Even though, like I said, I'd been in the scripture for years. And... I thought I understood it. Whoa, did I not understand it? And, and just the, the, the scales being removed from my eyes. I mean, it was almost like what Paul speak, you know, what is spoken of there in acts about Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Um, and it was amazing. But so, so where I was going, I, I remember where I was going back, you know, we've, we're, you and I are living in a time that is post the enlightenment. Um, that, that was around the 19th century, um, 1800s, um, where man just hit the point that man thought he could reason everything out. He went and tried to separate the amazing things we see in the natural revelation of God in this world from faith and art and thought and religion. And they try to separate them out. One is fact and the other is not which is ridiculous. And the fact is God has shown himself to be true in all of that because, you know, they, they, they want, they want to separate, um, science from scripture. Oh, I'm sorry. There are things clearly described in the scripture that it took man into the 19th century for his science to catch up to what God had already described in the scripture. It, it's true. There, there, there have been a number of documentaries out there, a number of, number of research projects out there that has shown clearly that God in what he spoke to prophets and what he spoke to Moses and what is described in the scriptures was known thousands of years before our modern science figured it out. So <laughs> to try to separate those is ridiculous, but we do. And, and it's even, it, it, it's tough for us now because that's the mindset our culture as a whole has. And that's something you and I, we have to get away from and that we pray that the Holy Spirit enlightens us too. That's, that's his job to shove us away from that. But it's very, very easy for us to fall into that. But so this is what Jesus is speaking of, that he's, he's spoken to us in figures of speech, but an hour is coming when he'll no longer speak that way. An hour is coming where you and where we, I'm sorry, I say you and I a lot and many a times it's not the correct use, um, but where we look to the scriptures and understand the parables, 
even the ones you know that, that we understand them not 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 that we read them and then read Jesus' description and go oh now I get it but where we read them and truly grasp them um brother Randy last night um I had never thought I don't know why or maybe I hadn't really thought but he was preaching about God being merciful and he went back and 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 looked at the story and, and presented to us the story of David's interaction with Mephibosheth after the, after the, after the death of Jonathan, his father in battle, David's friend in battle. And what a beautiful picture of God being merciful and bringing the, and providing the Christ child to redeem us. It was beautiful. Brother Randy saw that so clearly and, and, and I think it, that's niggled at my mind before, but I had not seen it in a way that I was so blessed by what he brought. That's what Jesus is speaking of here. But then he goes on in verse 26. On that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will request of the father on your behalf. So what we're seeing here, oh, and go on. I'll just go on in verse 27. For the father himself loves you because you have loved me. So what Jesus is speaking of there, again, I, I want to make clear, and, and I, I, I've, I know I've done it more than once, that when Jesus is speaking, speaking there is, on that day you will ask in my name. We're not talking about, again, the phrase, in Jesus' name, is not a magic phrase. Nor is it an addendum that we just throw on a prayer because it sounds good. What he is speaking of here, that's not what's being talked of here. When he is saying, when we, when we ask in my name, he's talking about prayer. When we pray to God in the name of Christ, we are praying in the will of Christ, meaning we have sublim, we have subjugated our own human will, our own human um, selfish will, and we are praying in the will of God. We are, pay, we are praying in the will of Christ for our spiritual needs. For those needs, maybe even the physical needs. But what he's also saying, and I do not say to you that I will request of the father on your behalf for the father himself loves you because you have loved me. Again, one, one of the, one of the clear things and, and well, uh, I'll say this in a minute. The, one of the clear things here we, we have to remember. So upon the crucifixion and upon Christ's death, the veil in the temple there was a veil between the Holy of Holies where the Ark was and the Holy, which was the other part inside the temple. And then there was a veil there to the outside. Well, the veil inside the temple between the Holy of Holies and the Holy was only ever penetrated once a year by a priest specifically designated for it and specifically purified and everything else. And not only that, but he went into there um, I believe it was with a censer of incense um, to 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 cover his sinfulness um, and to keep him safe as he went in there as as magical as that sounds or whatever. But but that was the thing because this was a holy of holies. This was a clean, pure place. If we remember the burning of burning bush and Moses being told to remove his shoes because where he was standing was holy ground. Again, it's that kind of thing. Um, but when Christ died. That veil was torn in two. Okay. So torn in two, removing the barrier between God and us. But we also see it was torn in two from top to bottom. Top was 20, 30 feet in the air. I forget how many, but it, it, this, this wasn't an easy thing. And from what I understand, the veil was super, super thick. There's no way a man could have torn it in two, but it was torn top to bottom from God to man. Okay, so there's the inference that God tore it into. The death of Christ removed the veil, his sacrifice, thus paying for our sins, removed the need for an intermediary between we and the Father, between us and the Father. We no longer need a mediator. And so that's what Jesus is saying here is, is I am your mediator. I mean, he is our mediator, our supreme mediator, as far as our salvation but, and this is where we differ because of this, because of Jesus saying these things, we don't pray to saints. We don't pray to Mary 
because we don't need them to mediate. Now, we, I pray to Jesus many a time, but I'm praying to him as God incarnate, as part of the triune God, not, not as, you know, as one part of the triune God, not as, hey, will you take this to the Father for me? No, that, that's, that's not it. And that's what he's saying. You don't have to come to me, so I'll go to the Father. Because he says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. What he's saying, stating clearly is you have shown love for me. You're showing a saving faith, faith in me. Therefore, you, you, you truly, um, you fe- you live in fear of me. And again, I, I talked about it last night, um, in our Christmas Eve service, this is not a fear of hell and damnation, but it's an awe and a wonder and a love that bears itself out in obedience and in walking like Christ. And so what Jesus is saying there is because we have loved him and because we have manifested that love for him, that faith in Christ as our savior, that the father loves us. And again, it, it's it, the love here is being spoken of. Um, MacArthur talks about it in, in his commentary that there's two parts of the love here. There's the, the agape love that he truly loves us, thus is provided as a savior, but there's the love, the phileo love, because we're his children. We are his adopted children. So he loves us so we can come straight to him. I mean, the, the fact is when I was a kid and I needed to talk to my father, I didn't go to my mother first. I didn't go to my family dog. I didn't go to anybody else as a mediator. I went to my father because I knew he loved me. When my sons need to come talk to me, they come, they come and talk to me. Maybe more so now than ever, especially as they're, they're starting to raise their own kids. And so they have questions, but that's, what's being spoken of here. So this is the love that's being shown here. The love of God for these disciples, the love of God for us, the love of Christ for us, that Christ deigned to humble himself, to pay the price for our sins. And that's why, honestly, as as weird as it sounds that we're talking here, leading up to the crucifixion in light of today being our celebration of the birth of Christ, how perfect it is because the birth leads to the crucifixion and the crucifixion comes from the birth. So Christmas without Easter is useless and Easter without Christmas is useless. They work together. They are key together. So what better time to be speaking of the crucifixion than here at the birth of Christ, the one who is saying this to the disciples. So what we're seeing here this morning, what we, or this evening, what we've seen here this, this evening of these three cardinal Christian virtues is love. This is the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this evening. I know I ran a little bit, a bit long and I got a little bit straight out there, but I, 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 I pray that this time together has helped, um, us both, um, increase our knowledge of the scriptures, help us to grow and a fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, and we'll continue to shape our walk so that we walk more and more like Christ every day. All right, let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Uh, we're going to close out with the second day evening prayer. It's called Bounty. Let's pray. Thou great and only potentate, thou hast made summer and winter, day and night. Each of these revolutions serves our welfare and is full of thy care and kindness. Thy bounty is seen in the relations that train us, the laws that defend us, the homes that shelter us, the food that builds us, the raiment that comforts us, the continuance of our health, members, senses, understanding, memory, affection, will. But as stars fade before the rising sun, thou hast eclipsed all these benefits in the wisdom and grace that purposed redemption by Jesus thy Son. Blessed be thy mercy that laid help on one that is mighty and willing, one that is able to save to the uttermost. Make us deeply sensible of our need of his saving grace, of the blood that cleanses, of the rest he has promised, and impute to us that righteousness which justifies the guilty, give them a title to eternal life, and possession of the Spirit. May we love the freeness of salvation and joy in its holiness. Give us faith to grasp thy promises that are our hope. Provide for every exigency and prevent every evil. Keep our hearts from straying after forbidden pleasures. May thy will bind all our wishes. 
Let us live out of the world as to its spirit, maxim, manners, but live in it as the sphere of our action and usefulness. May we be alive to every call of duty, accepting without question thy determination of our circumstances and our service. Amen. All right. Well, again, I hope you've had yourself a wonderful Christmas. I hope to you continue to have a great holiday season, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless. Thank you.